Testament reading for this morning is found in Habakkuk chapter 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The New Testament reading and sermon passage is found in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Again, happy Mother's Day. If you're joining us, we're in a series, uh, Living Faithfully in a World of Fear. So two weeks ago, we looked at some of the things that we fear in a very basic sense, uh, food, clothing, shelter. And what we saw is Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And so Jesus gives us this kingdom perspective that governs our whole life, particularly when we have fear over things that are basic for life. And then last week, Pastor Clay preached on fearing others. And we can fear others, what they do to us, how they might threaten us and threaten our freedoms. And he showed rather than fearing them, we are to fear for their souls and that they would be led to God. Today, we look at what does it mean to have a fearful faith? What do we do when we lack trusting or lack a trust in God? Um, today, we see this text and Peter begins to sink as he's walking on the water and his eyes are off of Jesus and his eyes are on the storm and the wind around him, we can relate. Where are you sinking when the focus is more on your circumstances rather than upon God? What we're going to see today is our main idea is since Jesus is Lord over your storms, you are to keep your eyes of faith always on him. And today what we'll do is we'll just work through the passage, and what we're going to ask is, well, what is true faith? And so that'll be verses 23 through 28. Why do we struggle with our faith? That's verses 29 and 30. 
And then how do we overcome fear with faith? That's looking at verses 31 through 32. Before we go further, it's very good that we pray and say, God, would you come and lead us in this time? God, we do call, come to you and we ask, would you blow Holy Spirit upon us in such a way that we would see Jesus, that we would see his care over us, his immediately taking care of us when we cry out to him. So we ask, would you speak through me? Open our ears. Help us to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So the first point is, well, what is true faith? What I'm going to do is I want to give a definition of faith, and then from the text, we'll look at two examples of faith. So defining faith, it involves knowledge, it involves assent, and it involves trust. Knowledge. We need to know the content of what we believe. This is often what we call doctrine or the facts of the gospel. This would be quite simply, who is Jesus? What did he do on the cross? And even what is Jesus doing right now? And then there's assent. Assent is agreeing with the content of what we believe. And so this is the person who says, I understand what the Bible teaches you know, regarding the gospel, and I believe it. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died upon the cross to take away sins. I believe that he is coming again to judge the quick and the dead. Now, knowledge and assent, they are essential parts of true faith, yet it is not saving faith. See, saving faith also inv involves and requires even trust. Trust is resting in the content of what we believe. And so this is the person who says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but my confidence goes even further. My confidence is not in me. It's not in my own good works. It's not in my trying hard. It's not in my being a good person, but in Christ and Christ alone. I depend upon his atoning sacrifice. I depend upon what he did on the cross for me. He is my Savior. There is trust in that. Now, let me give two examples then from the text, and the first one's a little bit surprising because we think the text is primarily about Peter walking on water, but it actually is about Jesus. And so, we see an example of faith even in Jesus. The context of, the, of this passage is Jesus had just fed the 5,000, that's a remarkable miracle. The Gospel of Mark records that Jesus is dismissing the disciples so that he can go get some rest. So he wants them to basically go away so he can have some private time. But then also the Gospel of John says something very remarkable. It says the people saw this miracle and immediately they want to make Jesus the king. They want him to come and take over in the place of Rome. And so here, going back to our text in Matthew, it's very reasonable to think that Jesus is immediately dismissing his disciples because he doesn't want them to lose sight of the true, miss true mission. He's sending them away quickly so that way they're not caught up in the frenzy of the crowd and that way he can then dismiss the crowd. It's a very critical moment in the min ministry of Jesus. Very simply, the people are offering to Jesus what Satan had tempted Jesus back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. If you remember there, Satan comes to Jesus and says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world 
if you would just but bow to me. And here the people are saying, we will bow before you. We will make you the king. And Jesus is saying, yet that is not the Father's will. For Satan is coming and saying, you can have all the kingdoms of the world without going to the cross. And Jesus is saying, I need prayer to strengthen my faith. So where is their knowledge? Knowledge, we can just imagine Jesus saying, I am the Son of God. The Father above has given me a mission. And what is that mission? To seek and save the lost. What is the ascent? The ascent is, is I believe that this calling from God is true. As John says, or as Jesus says in John chapter 6, my food is to do, my will is to do the food, my Father. Basically, my food, what I eat, what I drink, is doing what God wants me to do. What is the trust? Seeking the Father to empower him to the task. Some time frame here. He dismisses the disciples. Is it about seven or eight in the evening? And then it says that he goes and comes out to them in the fourth watch of the night. In a Greek understanding, that's about three or four in the morning. So what we see what's going on is Jesus has been praying for literally several hours. <laughs> we might say, wow, that's a lot of discipline. And what we need to see is that is a lot of faith. Here is Jesus, and he's praying, and he's praying because he's wrestling, and he's wrestling because he's being tempted. And he's turning to the Father, and he's saying, Father, I must pursue your will. Your will is my food. Your will is my drink. I sustain upon your will. And he's wrestling and saying, your will for me is to be the sin bearer for the elect of God's people. So we see this one example. Jesus is wrestling and he has faith. Now the other example is the most prominent one in the text and that's Peter. Again, the context is Jesus has dismissed the disciples and they're on one side of the lake and they're to row to the other side of the lake. Now that row is normally two to three hours and again, some of the disciples are seasoned fishermen and so this is really not a big deal for them. And yet, it's been several hours because of the weather. Now in the midst of their struggling against the weather, the text says Jesus is walking on water and they see this figure walking toward them and they think it's a ghost. That would be very understandable. In that day and age, if you were you know, a person like a fisherman, a person of the water, and you see something walking on the water, you would presume that it is an omen. And the omen is coming to say, you're gonna die. You're doomed. And so the men, are, they're frightened. Then look at Jesus, and look what he says. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then look at what Peter says. Lord, if it really is you, command me to come to you on the water. And then what does Jesus say? He gives the command, come. Now I just want to pause here and just say, this is crazy. <laughs> you know what? If I'm on a boat and the boat's being tossed around and I actually see this ghost figure coming and then I figure out that it's Jesus, I would not say, Jesus, hey, let me walk on water out to you. I would say, Jesus, get into the boat so that the thing would calm down and let's go to the other side and let's just be done with a hard night. What's going on here? It's faith. This is the crazy faith of Peter. 
Peter has knowledge of who Jesus is. Here we are, we're in chapter 14 of Matthew. Back in chapter 8, Jesus had already calmed the storm. This is the storm where he's sleeping in the bow of the boat and the water's coming in and the disciples, again, seasoned fishermen, they say, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus wakes up and then he calms the storm. And so Jesus has already shown himself to be powerful and Peter has knowledge of that. But also Peter has assent he believes that this Jesus is powerful. He knows that Jesus can calm the storm. And so he knows that Jesus has power to make him even walk upon the water. Now, where's the trust? The trust is that he believes that this figure really is Jesus and that Jesus is all-powerful and that Jesus has power over storms, and that Jesus even has power to hold him up so that he could actually walk on the water as Jesus is walking on the water. Now what's amazing here is Peter gets out of the boat, and by faith, he is walking on water. <laughs> as his eyes are upon Jesus, he is kept afloat, if you will, on top of the water, and he does not sink. He stays on top. Now, that's a really good picture of faith. You see, what is our faith? Our faith is not that we walk on water, but we do have faith to say, Jesus, will you keep me afloat? Will you save me? When we say, Jesus, you died upon, my you died upon the cross for my sin, what we're saying is, Jesus, you paid the righteous demand of the law that I could not pay. I believe that. You keep me afloat by paying the guilt of my sin. That's faith. But also faith is, I trust that Jesus, you are the Son of God and that you lived the perfect life that I could not live. You fulfilled the righteous demands of the law on my behalf. See, that's what faith is. And so if you are here and you're a Christian, this is your faith. If you are here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, when the Bible talks about faith, this is that definition and picture. It's not just having head knowledge. It's not just having, you know, knowledge and assent. It is trust. It is assurance. It is dependence upon the Lord Jesus. Now, going back to the text, we know the rest of the story. Peter begins to sink. Why is that? And that's our second point. Why, why does our faith struggle? See, when Peter's eyes get off of Jesus and onto his circumstances, he begins to sink. Look at verse 29. Peter gets out of the boat, and he's walking on water to Jesus. Then look at verse 30. But, but when he saw the wind, he became afraid, and he began to sink. Now, this is not an utter failure of faith. It's really not. Because look at verse 30, how it continues. As he is sinking, what does he do? He cries out, and he says, Lord, save me. He still knows and trusts that Jesus has all power, and he knows that Jesus is able to save him. That's why he's crying out. And look at verse 31. Jesus immediately, Jesus does not toy with him, immediately takes him by the hand. What kindness, what mercy this is. And then he rebukes him, and look at the rebuke. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is very important. He does not say, oh, you of no faith. 
O you of little faith. I identify with that. I think you would probably do as well. We are so much like Peter, do, are we not? <laughs> we focus on circumstances and not upon the Lord Jesus. And when we begin to focus on our circumstances, we begin to sink. Yes, we believe. And yet when things get stormy, when life unravels, when there is hardship, our faith begins to unravel. We focus more upon the storms than we do upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't like to say it this way, but sometimes our faith is more talk than it is trust. We are those who knew, know how to say the right thing. We have the right formula, the right creed. We even believe the right things. We know that they're true. But often we do not trust the right thing. See, what goes on in our heart? In our heart, God is not as big as we believe him to be. We say, God, you are big. But when our faith is wavering, what we're actually then saying is, God, we're not as big as you think you are. Or we might be saying, God, you're big. You're big for that person, but you're not big for me. And so what we have is we wrestle with doubt. We do wrestle with unbelief. We lack trust of who God says he is, and we should not be surprised. When we go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Satan comes to tempt Adam and Eve, how does he tempt? Did God really say? He's calling into question who God says he is. He's calling into question their relationship with God. He's calling into question not just what they know, but what they're trusting. Are you really loved by God? Does God really care for you? Do you really belong to him? Will he never leave you? Will he truly never forsake you? You see, today we wrestle with those same fears and those same doubts because the focus is upon us and our circumstances. And they're reasonable at times, are they not? When we go through the cancer, when we have the stroke, when we have a disability, those are really true sufferings. And we say, God, where are you in the midst of that? We look at the financial loss that goes on. And we say, God, how are you going to provide? But sometimes it's small things, is it not? Don't laugh, but when the internet is slow, we're like, God, where are you? We're stuck at a traffic light. God, don't you know I need to be there? <laughs> And so what's going on is we have fear because we're looking at our circumstances and we're not in control of them and we begin to sink because our eyes are on the circumstance and not on the God who is over all of our circumstances. So the question then becomes, why does Jesus allow us to sink at times? It's so that our faith would be refined and that we would actually draw close to God in a true and genuine and faithful way. The late Charles Spurgeon, he was a pastor, a Baptist, pap, Baptist pastor in London in the late uh, 1800s. In his commentary, he writes this, Peter is nearer to his Lord when he is sinking than when he is walking. Peter sees how desperate is his situation 
and only Jesus can save him, and that's when he is near because that's when he is trusting. James Montgomery Boyce, a Presbyterian pastor in Philadelphia, uh, late 80s, passed away from cancer. His commentary says this, talking about why do we sink. It is exactly the same with us, and it is why Jesus permits storms to come into our lives too. As long as life is going along smoothly, we may be genuinely trusting Jesus for our salvation as true Christians, but our faith can be somewhat distant, abstract, or even peripheral. We trust Jesus true enough, but if truth be told, we also trust ourselves and our abilities. We may even trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus. Let trouble come, and suddenly we are confronted with our own lack of ability and weakness. And we are driven to Jesus simply because we have nowhere else to turn. It is in times such as these that faith in Jesus grows strong. When your eyes are off of Jesus, you begin to sink and your faith is faltering. When your eyes are upon Jesus, that's when you are afloat and you do immeasurably more. So how do we then overcome fear with faith And our third point? How do we keep our eyes of faith upon Jesus, especially during stormy circumstances? How do we grow in knowledge and assent and trust in trials and suffering? Let's go to the text. The first thing we see in the text is we need to listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, as soon as I say that, that's cliche. Um, we sometimes call that church talk or pious talk. But we need to hear what Jesus says in verse 27. Look there. The first words that come out, take heart. Some of you have a translation that says, take courage, or more literally, be of good cheer. <laughs> I just want to put you in the perspective. Here the disciples are. They've been rowing for several hours. They're starting to think, is this ship going to sink? And Jesus says, be of good cheer. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, have assurance. Have assurance because I am now here. Do not worry. Why are they not to worry? Look at his next statement. It is I. Now, I want to put before you something very profound. Literally, in the original language, it is I am. That is the personal name of God. And Jesus uses that statement during other, you know, very significant times of revelation when he's disclosing who he really is. Let me just share some of those. In John chapter 8, verse 58, that wonderful passage where the, uh, the religious leaders come to him and they say basically, you know what, are you more important, are you more, you know, respectable than Abraham? And then Jesus says that statement, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And the people understood what he was saying because they picked up stones to kill him because he was claiming to be God. A less famous but still important is in Mark chapter 14, verse 62. Here is Jesus, and um, he's before the council, and he says, are you the Christ? And very simply, he says, I am. And you will see me at, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and I will come again. And the people tear their clothes and say, blasphemy. They understood what he was saying. 
Another one that's very, again, I think remarkable is when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, he appears to them by their, at the um, house and he says, look here at my hands and my side and my feet. And then he says, I am, I am. And so when we look at this passage and we say, what does it mean to listen to the voice of Jesus? We need to understand who he is saying he is and he's saying, I am, I am your God. And that's why he says, be of good cheer. And that's why he then commands, fear not. And that fear not is not just stop it. It's this instead saying, assurance, God himself is with you. And when God is with you, you do not have to worry. Friends, just very quickly, how do we hear the word of Jesus today? How do we know what he is saying to us? It's by reading his word. And so again and again, we urge and we encourage, be in his word daily, because that is how Jesus speaks to us. And when he speaks to us, then we hear his voice, and we hear him saying, be of good cheer. Not only are we to hear his voice, but we are to receive his hand. Look at verse 31. Immediately he reaches out and takes hold of Peter. What's implied there is that somehow Jesus takes Peter and he either carries him or leads him to the boat and puts him into the boat. And we say, okay, that sounds great, but how does that work today? One way that it works, there is a physical sense, and it's this. Jesus has given us his body, the church. And so when we are in need, he gives us this body so that we can care for one another. You've heard it said, we are the hands, the feet, the words, the heart of Jesus to one another. We give meals. We write cards. Uh, we give rides to those who need to get to church. We visit those who are sick or shut in. But sometimes we just sit with people. And listen, and when we do that, we are the presence of Christ as the Spirit ministers through you to one another. There's a physical sense to this, but there also is a spiritual sense. Jesus has given us his Spirit, and because he's given us his Spirit, it is true that he will never leave us nor forsake us because that Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee of our being with Jesus forever and ever. And so, this spirit says, Jesus is holding you right now. This spirit, he gives you perspective. And so when you are in the storm, you begin to see, you know what, the storm, it's hard, but it's not punishment. For the Holy Spirit, who is God, gives you assurance that what you are suffering is discipline. It is not punishment because who took all punishment for us? the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so here is the Holy Spirit giving us assurance that the storm is given, these hard things are given, so that we might draw close to Jesus in a very true and lasting way. He loves us so much that he wants us near. And he would even allow trials to bring us near. What else do we see is we are to receive the rebuke. Look at verse 31. We need to allow Jesus to call out our unbelief and our self-pity. You know, when things go bad, that really shows what we're made of. It shows what's going on deep inside. It shows forth our bitterness, 
our anger, our despair. And so Jesus calls out and says, put off that unbelief and turn afresh to him. What else? How do we overcome fear with faith? It's through worship. Look at verse 32. Jesus gets into the boat, the winds cease, and then the eyes of their faith are opened. And what do they say? Truly you are the Son of God, and they worshiped him. Friends, what is the goal of faith? The goal of faith is not to get stuff. The goal of faith is to get God, to see Jesus for who he is and to enjoy him forever. That's our goal is to worship, and that is how we grow in faith is by worshiping God. Now, what I want to do for the next, you know, few moments here is I want to give some everyday circumstances, storms, to see how this works. What I want to do is identify some areas where we think we are sinking and then say, what does it mean to then have faith that overcomes fear? So the first one is you go to your phone and you look at the news or you look at the newspaper or you watch TV kind of discouraging these days. <laughs> there's war. There's the economy. There's just even just the general state of dissension. Some of us are feeling the pinch of inflation, and we can say it's truly scary times. What's the knowledge? God is sovereign. And what does God say? He rules over the nations. He even rules over the economy. He raises up leaders, and he takes them down. What's the ascent? The ascent is, God, I believe that you are the God who does this, and I believe that you will provide even for me. Jesus, I believe that through your death and resurrection, you have established that you are the judge of the nations, and you will make all things that are wrong right. What's the trust? Jesus, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, because your kingdom is the ultimate kingdom as these king kingdoms crumble. And because you say to seek first your kingdom, you say these things will be added unto me. And so the world is broken, but I do not need to fear. I do not need to freak out because God is in control. If you noticed, our Old Testament passage was from Habakkuk. Habakkuk has that wonderful statement of what faith is. The just, the righteous shall live by their faith. And then Habakkuk chapter 3, you have this wonderful statement. Here in Habakkuk, war is coming. The Assyrians are going to take away the northern tribes. And God has announced it. And Habakkuk, by faith, says, you know what? Though the fig trees don't give their figs and though all the crops fail and everything is going to fall apart, remember how he ends? He says, yet God, you are my strength and I will worship you because you are the God who is in control. Friends, that's how faith works. Let's give another example. Health. So we're kind of narrowing in more personally. Some of us have illness, but a lot of us are just aging. <laughs> so how does knowledge work here? The knowledge is we live in a cursed world that is falling apart, including me. I am falling apart. Ascent. Jesus, you say that on the cross, you took the curse, and you took the curse for me. The curse that was due for me, you have taken. And so what a, a scent is, is this. You are coming again to undo the curse. And you will give me a new glorified body, free from illness, even of age. What's the trust? 
this failing body is not the final body. Jesus, as you have risen in glory, there will be a day when you come again where you will give me a new body that will be full of glory. And so now that trust begins to look like this. This world is not what I live for. It is not the final world. Yes, medicine is good and it is helpful and we are to pursue that. But what is more important is that we pursue Jesus who carries us and strengthens us when our body is failing. See, this faith is very real. It doesn't say minimize the bad days. It says there's going to be bad days and there are days when we feel miserable. And this gives us incredible freedom to say, God, I grieve that my body is falling apart. And it even gives us freedom to say, God, I'm angry over the curse. But that also gives us places to repent and say, God, in my broken body, where, am I, where do I have a complaining spirit? Where do I have a why me attitude? Where do I have self-pity? God, I want to bring that to you because what's more important is faith. God, perhaps there's places where I need the church to ask for help so that I'm not walking alone in my illness and aging. Jesus, I need to see you as Lord over my life and my body and my health and my future and I must worship you. Let me give one more. This one we're going to narrow in even more. See, sometimes we're saying, you know what, I get what you're saying, Pastor, but my problem's not trying to walk on water. I'm just trying to walk on dry land. This whole walking on water, that's great for some, but I'm just trying to stand, and I don't even know how I'm going to stand. See, for some of us, the shame and hurt of our life is overwhelming. And then we begin to live it out in horrible ways. We begin to boast. We begin to lie. We begin to have body image issues. Some of us have eating disorders. Some of us work out just because I need to look a certain way. And what's going on is, is there's fear of being who you really are. You're fearing, am I really wanted? Some of you are incredibly lonely. What's the knowledge? You're more, more broken than you can ever imagine. <laughs> see, that's the hard part of this. We see our brokenness, and the Bible comes along and says, you're even more broken. But in the same breath, it says, as much as you see how deep is your sin, there is grace of God that is deeper and far more lavish than the deepness of your sin. What's the ascent? I can go to the cross as I am. Friends, that is amazing. God says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus, and you don't have to clean yourself up to get those. It's not like I have to try harder, be more, do more. But I get what God gives because Christ did it all for me freely as I am. So where's the trust? Because I am loved and accepted. I don't need to pretend to be something I'm not. What that says is there's freedom to sink because when you're sinking like Peter, what does he do? Lord, save me. And that is the freedom that we have. Even when we think I can't even stand, the gospel says you have the freedom to say, Jesus, save me. 
And so there's no more fear what others think. We live in Lake Country, Waukesha County. We have this you got to perform mentality, and that's so anti-gospel. The gospel is what Jesus thinks of you is enough. And because you are safe in Jesus, you don't have to perform. Because you're safe in Jesus, you have freedom to be weak. Because you're safe in Jesus, you can even say, I don't measure up. That is the freedom of our gospel. And see how this applies then. We've been talking just about three things, but it applies to our jobs. It applies to things that we wrestle with. Some of us have addictions. It applies to how we think about our spouses, our children. We have broken relationships, even our parents, even with God. Again, the goal and object of faith is not to walk on water. That's just stuff. The goal is to be close to Jesus, and Jesus says, I am there for you. In fact, I died for you, and I will never let you go. I'm going to end with one more example, if you allow me. Um, it's not fun when a pastor says that. What are you going to do, rush the stage? <laughs> no, no more sermon. Um, one area I want to give, and I'm going to broaden this out again. I think there's fear here in Cornerstone. We've been through a lot of transition. You've had an interim period, and then in the interim period, we had COVID, and then in the midst of COVID, uh, you elected me to be your Senior pastor, in the midst of that, we planted grace and peace in Oconomowoc. We had to say goodbye to a lot of people that we love. And then in the midst of that, God in his good providence, we've been growing, and we've been growing through many wonderful new people. You might be thinking, where is there a storm in that? The storm is, is there's still transition. And people are saying, when is the transition going to be over? And so for those who are old-timers, we're like, and I get it, understandably, there's this fear of change. We prefer comfort over change. But then there's the new folks, and the new folks have fear as well. Is this going to be the right church family for me? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to grow in Jesus here? Friends, this is a time to grow in faith. Our eyes must be upon Jesus. For if our eyes get off of Jesus, that's when we begin to sink. When our eyes are on Jesus, doesn't mean it's comfortable, but he is doing immeasurably more. See, this is a time of knowledge to say, Jesus, you say your kingdom is like a mustard seed and it's growing. And so for our church to be growing is a healthy sign that God is at work here. It's a scent. Jesus, we want your kingdom to grow and we would love for you to grow through us. And if you're going to grow through us, that means we need to be doing the hard work of growing the kingdom. Jesus says, those who put their hand to the plow are not to look back. And so a scent then turns into trust and it says, God, I'm going to hold on to that plow even when it's hard, and saying the growing pains are worth it. We want this church to grow because we want this to be a place where people of need and dependence find Jesus, because he is our ultimate need and our ultimate dependence. And so yes, we are going through transition, but it's good. And we keep our eyes upon Christ. Since Jesus is Lord over our storms, 
let the eyes of our faith always be upon him. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you asking that you would give to us faith that is supernatural. Faith to see you, to have knowledge that you are our God, assent that we believe, but then trust, even as in the children's sermon, the chair. Jesus, we can know that you're real, but until we're sitting in you, we're not really enjoying you fully. So give us that type of simple faith to rest in you. We pray in your name. Amen.